I'm even Moscow. Yeah, pretty much. All right, we're back. So happy to be back. So we have a very particular friend of mine because we're really good friends online, but we had never had the chance to sit down properly and talk. And today is the day. So we have Ilya Masaev. He's a graduated of economic geography in Moscow State University. He worked briefly on a regional growth analysis think tank. He is co-author of one monograph and few articles on regional growth factors and convergence tests. Then. Uh, following the family bloodline, he turned uh, to music production and graduated uh, on Berkeley Online School. And uh, nowadays, he's a really prolific and hardworking music producer, uh, also educator, works uh, for Moscow Music School and for Bushka Skola uh, Art Design School. Uh, and he has worked with artists such as Mujus, Nadia, the Black Delta Movement, and Vajin Elling Cake. <laughs> He's a jazz trumpet, trumpet player, very interesting cat. So I'm very happy to have you here, bro. Welcome to the Leo Perez show. Yeah, finally we did it, man. Yeah, good, good, good see you online. <laughs> yeah, so how, how has... Yeah, looking good. You were telling me that the lockdown has slowed down your work a little bit because of your educating people a lot. Yes, but it was a bit unexpected, but they they uh, offered me this uh, thing at uh, High School of Economics Sound and Art uh, program um, to to read the mixing mastering class now, not autumn. You know, it, yeah. it, it should be September, and, and, oh. and I'm reading it now. So I had to reschedule my um, mixing and mastering work, and it, it, it actually um, it was a bit complicated because we moved a lot of deadlines with artists uh, well uh, all the releases that were just due some date they they were done but some other projects um, there's a bit of a traffic jam now were, so were your clients like I, um con condescendent with you or they were not understanding the situation no no they understand the situation also this all this lockdown it, you know mixing at home uh, especially first two three weeks was uh, a bit tough you know it's different acoustic environment and yes. uh, uh, making decisions uh, <laughs> based on what you hear from the speakers. Luckily, I have small speakers, so, uh, I mean, I wouldn't uh, really imagine how I mix if I had bigger speakers. <laughs> tell, so, tell, me, tell me a bit, because we're kind of like getting to know each other a bit uh -huh. here. Tell, tell me a bit about your story. I mean, I, I look at you, I follow you online, and I hear you what you do, and I really like it. I find your work really inspiring and uh, and um, and well, I mean, how did you got to the point where you are now, kind of? Thanks. Well, it, it was uh, uh, it was pretty random decision. I mean, I always liked uh, music. I, I finished musical school when I was uh, at, um, my. Um, um, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, and um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, we played in a band uh, at school and uh, wrote some songs, played gigs and stuff, and uh, all this, I uh, mean, uh, economics and geography education it was like my idea of profession and something like that, but music was always there. So. And at some point I realized that um, probably I should uh, switch to music because of the you know this passion of creating records it was it was an amazing experience you know when when you recorded something and people listened to it, it 
it's just it's just awesome you know well uh, it's 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 very important not to forget that thing you know? yeah when it becomes your career so it's not like a daily routine or something is actually music is uh, for people who are not in the industry who are just listeners music is something magical for them yes it kind of it kind of adds all of um, needed much needed emotions uh, to everyday life so, it's kind so of it's kind of like food for people. us it's kind of like food for yeah, us yeah. i mean you go and you grab a tomato no what i mean is that you grab a tomato from the shop and then you're like okay here's my tomato i just put it on the cart it appeared there mm -hmm. magically <laughs> but it, yeah but, <laughs> yeah that's it so uh uh so i started um uh, first thing I recorded a single with my band, and uh, I really liked the process in the studio. And I started learning it. Uh, my first thought was that <clears throat> I have to learn Pro Tools. I'll just I can't get away with Cubase or Logic or whatever because most big commercial studios in the world use Pro Tools, yes. and I have to know it. Otherwise, I can't take projects. I can't bring the project. I'll just um, like chopped off the, that side. So, so I uh, decided to learn online at Berkeley. It was one of the first years of online education, you know, and the internet was very slow. Uh, first two years, there were no videos. Oh, I mean, it, so wow. it was all text. It was all text and uh, <laughs> online quizzes, tests. Audio was there, you know, like, um, like you know, quicker listening uh, things crazy. like you... You make it. You guess a quiz like which frequency band is cut off the spectrum of white noise or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but um, other than that, uh, it was like all the text and pictures, and um, we were chatting with professors. But it was very highly efficient. Um, my first teacher was David Franz, who owner of uh, Underground Sound Studio in Los oh, Angeles. That's great. And. Uh, he wrote a really good book called uh, Producing uh, with Pro Tools. And uh, there was a choice. Uh, either to take the official added uh, curriculum, the uh, design at the time, right? And uh, get that Pro Tools 101, Pro Tools 110 official paper, the certified thing, you know, yeah, by Avid. Exactly. Um, but I looked at the curriculum, at the, at the syllabus, you know, syllabus, and uh, thought that, well, it's just learning the software. That's not what I want. But that Berkeley uh, was a different thing, and uh, they just um, taught how to produce music using Pro Tools. And all the features, all the editing tools, all the everything, automation, it was all connected to purpose. Yeah. Why, why do you need it and how to how to make records you know that was amazing you know later on De France uh, wrote and produced a major hit for singer Ayoka you know her yes yes yeah 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 simply following his song and um, I mean 25 million views I think something like that yeah they awesome. played played with 16 tons uh, a few years ago we <laughs> had beers with him yeah <laughs> so um so that was uh, my first uh, experience with online education, and uh, and I was very happy. Now this experience is very useful, you know, because now you're on the well, other side. Thirty, yeah. What? Now you're on the yeah, other, I'm on the other side. side. Yeah. But I know, I remember how we had like um, 
one hour of chat, you know, like ICQ chat uh, with professor, and that was something you were waiting for. And you were just uh, exchanging messages. And there is something. There is something kind of weird about the current situation of online education. Mm -hmm. That it's like I don't know how you're handling this with the students, but because there is a twenty-four hour link kind of with them, and I think that's a little bit um, off. Off in a sense. I mean, it, it's breaking a little bit. This, as you said, like there was this moment when you were waiting for that ICQ conversation, and you were like, yeah. "Here it goes," and and also you were focusing your uh, your information, so it's channeled properly, yes. you know. But but now it's like, I mean, when I started engaging with the students of uh, of Wishka School Economy as well, mm -hmm. I, I I even though I like to be a very open minded and, and connected person, I said, "Okay, guys, look, like maybe you should write me emails." Like, and they were like, "Emails? How can I use that? <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> I have a chat Absolutely. there, twenty four hours available for you." It's just like the the current modern uh, circumstance has wonders, and you know I I don't know how have you personally how has your personal journey been, but I have kind of seen myself moving towards a little bit more on the, in some things on the conservative side of the spectrum because because I mean I, I, yeah technology offers us a great wonderful things, but there are some very old principles that we really shouldn't just throw out of the guard to the garbage, you know, like for example. The, the relationship between a student and a professor, you know, there, oh, has, yeah. there has to be this sort of gradient and these technologies tend to erase that. I think it's, um, you know, I've been teaching in uh, four universities by day, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, it was, my main uh, thing, it's been like seven years, I think, it's GITIS, Theatrical Academy of Arts. Uh -huh. It's a very old fashioned, conservative, um, serious um, high school in Moscow. Yep. And, um, uh, and, and those people who uh, study there, they're different from Vishka and they're different from Moscow Music School, of course. There's three different categories of people and this distance between the professor and the student is different. Yeah, it's, so, it, it's, something, um, it's something that uh -huh. it's worth thinking. I mean, it's worth thinking that, that, that you know, I, I read a quote of Carl Jung, uh, and, and imagine this was uh, said by him in the 50s. It's something like, uh, the the better we are at measuring time, the worse, the less time we have. Uh, uh. He, he, he meant in terms of that, the, 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 the evolution of technologies just create the circumstance in which things get so quantized and so compressed and so that we just don't have time for ourselves or for things. And... and uh, I've been shocked about this. If my friends from Caracas will meet me now and we will sit for some beers, they would be shocked about the the, the views that I'm currently holding close. I mean, mm -hmm. moving to Russia certainly helped me to, to to accommodate a lot of the things that I consider truth. But not only moving to Russia, but also seeing the evolution of all of this is great. It's wonderful. Mm -hmm. But it's also scary. We all enter into this head-on. Uh, uh -huh. We we gave our 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 lives to to I mean and, and our privacy. I, I I don't even even want to talk about privacy. And I don't even want to talk about it. It's a problem. It's just like hey, we just don't know. <laughs> we just went and well, it's it's, it's probably just a normal future shock. Yes. people were shocked by telephones yes. hundred yes. years ago. They were yes. they were scared to talk a uh, hundred kilometers apart. You know, yes. it, it was I, I I can imagine. I. I read an article uh, that was uh, posted by Mock Wessel, uh, my uh, one of my professors at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. uh, he is uh, in uh, music production and engineering department, and um, it, it told about why uh, Zoom lectures are so exhausting. 
Yeah. And they are. They are. They because are. there's no body language. You know, yes. you kind of, your brain feels that you're together, but your body feels that you're apart. Yes. And the, um, this cognitive uh, duality, weird, you know, it, it kind of wastes a lot of emotional energy to, you still try, you don't, you don't see the eyes of the students. Yeah. And you don't know whether they get what you say or not, or whether it's interesting for them or not, not but you still have to keep going you know it's yeah it drains a lot um first two weeks were kind of complicated now it's fine now it's better yeah. you but know, i agree this telegram feed that you wake up <laughs> and it's like 56 new 600 new messages you <laughs> i won't read them you know sometimes read, write me an email <laughs> yeah so, right. sometimes we see we see for example an image of a of a monkey inside a laboratory mm -hmm. experiencing uh, some tests, you know, and we look at this animal and we feel sad for the animal. We're like, oh, that's that's painful. And then we forget that if you would put a camera to us, maybe that's how we look <laughs> when we are receiving all these messages and we're just testing all of these new ways of living. I mean, and nobody feels sorry for us yeah. because I mean, we're, we're the highest primate and A and B, well, we are just the, the experimenters and the ones who are experiencing the experiment. Uh, and, uh, and, and I mean, I, I, I think, as you said, this is most likely technology shock. And when you mentioned that, I wanted to tell you that I read a commentary. I want to say two things. I read a commentary. It was something of really, fr I think it was from the 16th century. It was a commentary of, a of a professor, uh, describing how maybe it was a bit further, uh, 17th century. They were already universities. Uh, there was a professor saying like, nowadays students have access to paper. And so this means that they have the capacity to write messages to each other during the lectures and they cannot be focused on what I'm saying. <laughs> so he was <laughs> criticizing the use of paper. <laughs> and the other thing is that I, 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 this is a very interesting fact. It's like the average speed of a human being, um, I mean, until 100 years ago, sorry, not the average, the maximum speed that a human being can travel uh, 100 years ago was horseback. Uh, and when trains were oh, yeah. when trains were, <laughs> were introduced, there were all these uh, like religious conservatives and people in, in introducing the idea that that you know uh, traveling at the speed of trains most likely will damage us. Like <laughs> kill people organs. <laughs> I read that. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> That's what I say when people say about this new technologies and stuff like that. We're gonna yeah. be fine. And one of my basic premises, I mean, it's certainly gonna have effects. But one of my basic premises always. Uh, um, by the way. Uh, I mean, I'm a ha you you should Google this, or people should Google this. There is a, a theory called the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis. I mean, it's a hypothesis that says that 13,000 years ago, and it's really, really well documented. And by the way, I'm extremely excited. On next week, I'm going to have one of the scientists pushing that um, that theory on the podcast. Uh, this is a theory that proposes that 13,000 years ago, there was a comet impact that hit the North American ice cap. And there is a lot of evidence about that uh, spread across the whole world. And uh, the, the automatic meaning of this, and why I'm bringing this in this point to the conversation is A, because I, every time I can bring this to the table, I bring it because I find it really important. And B, uh, because we have survived, in my opinion, something of that scale. When you know the dimensions and you understand the physics of something like that, of what it means that mm -hmm. a comet would hit the Earth. I mean, and the thousand years that that unleashes. And then you see people freaking out about what's going on now, and that the, uh, then you realize, well, look, we're resilient. Like, we're really resilient. And, and, and I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but, man, think about what, especially the ancestors of Russians lived in the Second World War here, and we survived that. And I really think that we can survive Twitter. Mm. 
<laughs> oh sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, we 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 all tend to underestimate our uh, adaptive skills. Yeah, yeah, it's, I it's, think so. Yeah, definitely. Tell me something. How was when you started this uh, in the year? What when the year you started this in two thousand and what? The Berkeley, uh, Berkeley? the Berkeley course. Yeah. So two thousand and seven or eight. I think. How, how was? Um, you're a person who were pro profiling yourself to be a producer here. How was Russia back then? I would really like to talk a lot about Russia. How, how was uh, Russia back then? It was pretty cool, you know, and uh, the indie scene was very uh, good at the time. A lot of bands and, uh, I mean, um, they keep evolving and dissolving, but it was before this whole uh, hip-hop thing, you know? <laughs> and there were there were bands like uh, like Punk TV. I really liked them. Uh, the, and others, you know, they, they played this um, mixture of uh, Manchester guitar and, mm -hmm. and and electronica. So it's it's the the, the early two thousand indie thing, you know, when Korg released the micro Korg and yes. bands could afford a, a really cool synthesizer that yeah. that that did all that stuff. And uh, it was it was really fantastic time. And we played in a band <clears throat> at the same time. So. Uh, I was really, really looking forward to to, to this thing to outgrow, but it just uh, vanished. And new music appeared, and the dubstep and hip hop and yeah. Russian hip hop, and everything changed. But I, I'm not complaining anyhow, you know. But uh, it's just uh, you can't predict what's next. So you, and and how was uh, Russia yeah. more in the economic side of the spectrum? I mean, like, were, were you feeling economic, that, that there was not, not necessarily like economic numbers, or how were you feeling? Like, were you feeling that there was a perspective, or that you were going to have to leave the country, or something like that? Oh, it, it was a mixture of feelings, I think, as always for everyone. Because uh, on, on one hand, uh, the oil price was so high those years. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> Russia finally covered all the debts of Soviet Union, you know, because uh, Russia took responsibility all, all the um, loans that Soviet Union did yes. uh, back in the day and then went bankrupt. So, um, so we, we, and uh, reserves became uh, pretty big and stuff like that. And um, there was a lot of, when I was into economics, we, there was a lot of discussions about uh, the imports of institutions, the the, the post of regional development, everything like that. But all that just uh, it didn't translate into anything. You know, it was just discussions of experts. And now I understand that expert is basically a guy who doesn't respond. Is not responsible. You know, <laughs> he, he he gives advice. He I takes money. I want to say something, especially in the context of the of the pandemic, is that it's responsible. It's only held responsible when he was not so conservative. So 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 experts, if they say that the low number, then they uh -huh. are not they are not punished by anybody. But if they say the high number, which may be the real one, I mean they get punished uh -huh. by everybody. So so yeah. Well, there's a lot of um, politics involved, you know, and uh, so. Uh, true, but I, I, now I think that really, you know, as an economist, you can write a, I mean, uh, write an article into American Economic Review or Quarterly Journal Economics, just one, and get Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to explain everything. You have some, to explain something new, and, and that's enough. For a career, and you, you're a professor, you write books, you, and stuff like that. But when you're a politician, I mean, like, when you're running the country... There's a uh, there's military, uh, healthcare, taxes, 
lobbyists, you know, all the industries, uh, transportation, <laughs> infrastructure, uh, international relations, and all that happens 24-7. And you can't say, uh, I'm sorry, I, I fucked up military, but, but look at healthcare, it's good. You have to make everything yes. at least not too bad, you know. And these people who are responsible, they, they have very different mindset. Now I understand, because at that time I remember... On, uh, I didn't realize that uh, when economists talk something like, and it's, it sounds scientifically right, but uh, and politicians, so they don't understand each other at all. Yes. Now there's, I understand the other side, that the economist doesn't understand what it is to be responsible, uh, to be in charge, because he's not. He's, yeah. He is like making calculations or running regressions instead. And, and and also, and also it, it's it, the economist is uh, experiencing as well a lot of confirmation bias, uh, and you see this very very strongly nowadays. Uh, I yeah. see such yeah. a division between because uh, there are all these people sitting down at home and saying, "No, no, we have to stay locked down. Uh, nobody should go out to work." And it's like, "Yeah, Mister, I have a job and I get paid a salary at the end of the month. Of course, that we have to all stay at home." But you're totally disconnected with the fact that there are majority of people, like in the USA, then right now as as the uh, dating of this episode there were 36 million people who lost their jobs for these lockdowns and yeah. so experts can say one thing and also i mean hey let's not forget that i mean by the way I, i'm of course uh, not not against the fact that we locked down and that we maybe we this was uh -huh. the right way to go but but sure. we have to bring some people into account that that the, initially the first estimations were super off i mean and, and that's what i meant about the fact that uh, experts are when expert are, experts are off like that, they are not punished because, well, I mean, it's normal to exaggerate because you want to bring people to panic so people get serious. Like, for example, there was a, a British university, it escapes mine, it's really famous right now, a study escapes my mind right now, uh, which was pro projecting 2 million deaths in the USA. It was King's College study. It was projecting uh, 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 2 million yeah. deaths in the USA and 500,000 deaths in in. Uh, in the UK, and so people make decision based decisions based on those uh, projections, and then the reality is totally different. And we find ourselves in a situation when perhaps we overkilled it. I mean, Sweden reacted very differently to this. Uh, I don't know how much you're informed of yeah, that. Like, but yeah, I agree. But you know, it's it's also about the uncertainty. It's yeah. like you know, uh, you see the, the exchange rate jumps, like the dollar goes up or down, and you think. I should have exchanged money yesterday, yeah, but that exactly. thought is absolutely, absolutely has nothing to deal with reality. Yeah, it, sure. it's about the, the the sequence of things happening and uh, all these lockdown decisions. Uh, at that point, uh, when there was no information, uh, I mean, not enough information was going on in China, and then it's banned. Yeah. It, it starts in Iran, and then it starts in Italy, in Lombardia, and uh, of course, other countries. They had to just um, reacts fast, you know, yeah. and uh, it, it, overreaction is not probably not a big uh, problem. In uh, this case, it isn't. Under, yes. under this situation, yeah, because uh, overcrowded uh, hospitals, it's, it's terrible. Yes. You know? the, the problem I see is how how um, the the six weeks after, which is like everybody made that sacrifice because some the people that have a regular job don't see it as a sacrifice and it is a major sacrifice. Yeah. 
yeah. and that's fine. And it's very. I think it's important that humanity makes sacrifices every so often. I mean, it's 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 a part of our our journey, you know. And we do it every day. I mean, we sacrifice that Oreo cookie, you know, so we are not gonna get fat and and things like that. And we sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem that I'm starting to see emerging. Uh, well, I personally I follow mostly American politics because it's I see it like a game of Sim City, you know, that is there running a simulation. <laughs> And then I can see it from here, uh, and, and it entertains me. And so I, and one of the things I see in the West cooking that really bothers me is this kind of uh, debate, you know, which is like if you don't want to stay, because LA is proposing three months furthering of the lo- lockdown right now, for example, and mm-hmm. and the people who are against that and see are seen as a right wing uh, capitalist speaks, and it's like we we should be able to understand each other a little bit better. We already made the effort, you know. We're here, Mm -hmm. six weeks past, everybody stayed home. Uh, Well, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to give some people responsibility in their hands and not just deposit everything on the government. Uh, I recently made a poll on my Twitter page, which was like, what do you guys think? Individuals can make responsibility, uh, can make decisions on their own or not? And overwhelmingly, everybody went and say, people don't have the capacity to make decisions on their own. That's a fair point. And I I just asked the question back. So do you consider yourself capable of making decisions on your own of course and it's like well but that's very comfortable <laughs> sure sure so, it's it's about like that video about uh, greed uh with milton friedman you've seen that no you know super no, coincidentally no, no. super coincidentally today i saw for my first time milton friedman speaking like 20 minutes ago but i i don't know which wow. video you mean yeah. <laughs> that's a funny video he just had to, talks about greed and he said yeah, yeah, yeah it's always the other people who are greedy not you <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, and it's like, uh, uh, well, the thing is, um, I personally think it's it's also about uh, the numbers and statistics, you know, and it's like ten percent of uh, people who make wrong decisions can ruin everything. Yeah, and ninety percent making right decisions uh, can help with 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 this kind of virus. So uh, this regulation, yes, I have yes, no, yes, I have no answer because you know, and uh, sometimes I, I myself, I, I expected things to develop uh, something like they developed but but things that the government said they they were right not not to shock people with uh, long periods from the start and stuff yes. like that because people would be just uh, so confused and, and broken you know yeah I, I when I try impossible. to describe and uh, and here we're getting into the, the territory that I love about the opportunities of this podcast is just to describe how life is here and I when I was speaking with my friends and mm-hmm. they were trying to tell me what's going on in Russia with the coronavirus and well firstly I'm sure you're going to correct a lot of the things I'm going to say maybe not but I'm, I'm expecting that because I don't speak uh, Russian and so uh, there is a barrier well I speak Russian but there's still a barrier between me and the internet when I sit down and see this uh, uh, Cyrillic text I just freeze a little bit so so a lot of things I miss but but I was telling to my friends something like this kind of thing like look Russia Russia is handled by by a big uncle, you know, a big diaja, you know, a, a big powerful diaja. It's like what? So, so I mean, so he and or or the father of the family, the the patriarch of the family, and the way he tells you the news is not the same way as an American father will tell you the news. You know, in here things are a little bit more massaged, so so the thing is presented, you know, in a way that because the father doesn't want you to freak out, uh, because. I, I, let's let's correct that. I see you have a lot of things to say. Go ahead. I don't know. I, I mean, uh, it's uh, um, I wouldn't really uh, 
it would be like a simplification. You know, yeah, yeah, father, sure, sure. Father. yeah. It's very complicated. And uh, I mean, um, uh, the, what I see now, you know, it's like the, the it's uh, it's pretty pretty. Um, it's pretty sane, you know, and uh, there's no like. Um, um, I don't know. I know you know. I don't really want to discuss the situation with pandemics much because it's still going on. You yeah, know? yeah. Because I mean, uh, it's it's it's. I'm not an expert at all. In those things. No, sure. To be I, honest, so let's let's talk about music production <laughs> because uh, basically I think that uh, it's it's a very complicated topic. And yeah, uh, but I was interested. In, I was interested yeah. in gathering. How do you feel as a citizen? I mean, of how much how information was presented to you? That's kind of where I. Was I think it's it, it was it was really it was really well uh, well given and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think because uh, basically. Uh, I was looking at the situation long before this all started in Russia because of uh, friends in uh, yeah. UK and in the US and Italy also. You know, but that's why I was reading the... So uh, it's pretty, pretty good. You know, it's, it's um, so far so good. I, I can't yeah, really... You know, right. it's, it's ongoing situation. Yeah, And I know that in government they're very... Also... The, they worry a lot, you know, when when what to do next and stuff like that. Because yeah. there's a trade-off with economics and a trade-off with potential, uh, you know, uh, acceleration of the pandemics. And so, it's so, a very hard decision, you know. <laughs> so let's 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 teleport I, ourselves immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, this will have profound implications in the world of music. Uh, what are some meditations that have come through your mind? Uh, about this, if some, it's really hard to tell. You know, uh, last um, I think the last two decades, uh, the importance of live shows, um, yes, in the whole uh, income structure of music is is like uh, it grew a lot. You know, because um, in I think in two thousand one we had about forty billion dollars sales. And by 2014, they were like 13. So the whole world market of uh, record yeah. sales went down a lot. And um, if you look at the Forbes, not this year, I don't remember, but a few years ago, I, I was looking at the, the, the most, I uh, mean, uh, not the most rich, but um, artists with top incomes per year. You know? And there was Dana, there was Bruce Springsteen, and Roger Waters, three great world tours. Yes. <laughs> the albums that they released that year, Roger Waters didn't release an album, it was The Wall. <laughs> but two others, Madonna and Bruce Springsteen, they were like, they, they were just like bottom of Billboard. They were yeah. not selling. But they were so still... So the money they yeah. got was from the tour. And the album is, uh, was um, for these major artists, like, you know, Depeche Mode, U2, uh, I don't. My personal experience, um, I, they're not as creative as they were because the, the album is just justification for a new world tour. Yeah, it's not that I have something to say. Uh, maybe they do have something to say, but it's not as intense musically and creatively as they were like in the nineties. All of them, uh, Madonna and uh, and also Depeche Mode and U2 and other bands. So it's more like a major justification 
for launching a big tool. Uh, also, uh, now that, that, that all the live shows are just shut down, all of them. And I mean, I, I think of people who just invested money in tours. They 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 booked uh, all the all the rental companies. No, what man. they do now, I, I just it's terrible to think. You know, but um, it's very complicated. So now I think that the importance of uh, recordings might uh, yeah, go that's up a good point. again. I think so, but I, I can't predict. You know, you can't make predictions in the, in the economy. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. But I think that people will turn uh, to make better quality recordings. To, yeah, to, well, I mean, quality not about hi-fi. Yeah, <laughs> I mean quality like the quality of material, music, of songs, of. Uh, of everything, so uh, ah, so you're expecting. A, sorry, let me see if I got you right. You're expecting, for example, artists who were obtaining the revenues from tours now going back to make records, and perhaps those records will maybe not them, maybe new artists, but yeah. All, overall, you know, it's not only the the giant tours that closed. Clubs are also closed. Everything, everything, yes, yes. Everything is closed. So, I mean, these uh, it's time when you. Um, you have uh, like an opportunity to try and write new songs and stuff like that. Uh, overall, you know the the my point about that uh, drastic fall in record sales in the early two thousands was that the industry somehow um, uh, it kind of uh, it wasn't that uh, that destroying. You know, it, it survived it. It shrank four times and it's valid because record industry, it's not like um, it's a very different industry. The, the amount of projects that become profitable is about 10% of all albums ever made, you know. It was like that in the 60s and it's like that now. And labels, they, um, they work a lot and they can't really raise that percentage because it's, uh, it's, it's such a market, very, very... Unexpected, very, yes. um, very complicated, and you can't predict things here. So I think that uh, musicians, they, I mean, they can teach music, they can do lessons, they can um, write scores, they can write ads, commercials. You know, the commercial budgets went up now. Yeah, of course. Everybody's online, and all the uh, all the traffic goes up, and 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 advertising is just booming. So that needs some music. So, um, I mean, uh, as long as you notice, you have some choices, at least, you know, to, where to, to put your effort to, to probably survive this period and also look for new opportunities. Yes, and there will be these opportunities. Uh, but, but, I mean... Uh it's just painful to watch and that's all we can say. I mean, it's painful to watch in the sense that, for example, I have, and you have a lot of friends who work in the live yeah. sound, in the live sound especially. I mean, it's like, yes, it's, hard, yes. it's heartbreaking. And and I, I personally, I, I don't know, I haven't seen so much efforts from artists to kind of do something up from big artists. I mean, in Russia, I haven't seen anything. I don't know, like some sort of fund, fund for the live sound uh, workers or something like that. I mean, I don't know if this exists. If mm. somebody, I may have missed that have may have said something i mean but it seems like a need right like like to kind of sure chip in, sure chip in together uh I've, I've seen a band uh in america i don't remember whom it's, it's famous band they 
they started, uh, they launched uh, selling a lot of merch. Yeah. And so uh, their tour crew gets all the money. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a nice, it's a nice idea, you know, so it's not like it just, it, you get some souvenir from the band and, and you help support those guys. It's, per, it's a good perhaps, idea. Perhaps here in, in some kind of hypothetical talk, uh, I mean, perhaps mm -hmm. this is a moment where streaming services perhaps occupy an important role. I mean, in balancing out, I, I, I'm not like a kind of like a person who will push them to, to change their business structure. That's their problem. And, but I mean, maybe the consumer is ready to pay for a higher fee uh, for their streaming service. If this may increase the revenue of artists, I mean, just just talking well, here. I, oh, it's hard hard to say. No, because for many years radio was free. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was free, and uh, the artists didn't get money, and that worked for decades. People, you know, when <laughs> when uh, when this whole thing with MP3 started, it wasn't anything new. Yeah, to be exactly. Honest. People people watched MTV for free, and all the music videos and uh, all the stuff and the regulation that got some uh, uh, some copyright share to, to the artist from that MTV uh, uh, playback. It's like uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't big and uh, never. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a good and, point. And, and it was it was uh, good for them to be exposed on MTV because people bought their records. And now it's not. You don't have to. You, you, you don't have. It was like. Um, Streaming is now both. <laughs> it's like you you choose what to listen to. You couldn't choose on MTV. You had to wait for Britney Spears, then <laughs> Christina Aguilera, then you get uh, Mary J. Blige, then you say, oh, and then Green Day. Yay! <laughs> you watch Green Day for three minutes, and then it's again. <laughs> Remember that, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. 1999 or something. Uh, yeah. You know? Or, or watching yeah, uh, at 2 a.m., uh, there was this program, I don't know if in Russia you had it too, it was uh, called in Latin uh -huh. America. By the way, Latin American MTV was insanely good. I mean, it was excellent. Uh -huh. they, and so, there, well, whatever, there was this um, program in the end, in the 2 a.m. or something called 120 Minutes. And it was where uh -huh. where all the good videos were. I mean, zero bullshit, no commercial. It was amazing. And amazing. One would, one would wait awesome. all day, you know. You know, Latin American MTV had this uh, very interesting facet, which, because what people uh, don't know about Latin America so much, I mean, people tend to group Latin mm -hmm. America like one unity, you know, and of course, Latin America is a very big place. It's very diverse. Yeah. yeah, very diverse. And so MTV Latin America was positioned in the Mexico City, Brazil, uh, mm -hmm. Sao Paulo, um, uh, Buenos Aires, and Santiago de Chile. And the uh -huh. whole the whole uh, circuit of programming across the whole day, ah, and later it opened in Miami. But but initially it was really truly uh -huh. Latin American, and it was a wonderful golden area period of, of very very interesting stuff. It was very out there. How, how was MTV in Russia, by the way? Well, it started in 1998, and it was uh, it was amazing. You know, I, I remember the the, the uh, watching how it launched. And, uh, were you watching like oh my god here it comes like did you watch it like when yeah yeah we were oh. expecting all, all I was at the, at the the TV set and then the first music video there was a poll and uh, Mumi Troll won the poll <laughs> and the first uh, first ever music video to play on Russian MTV was Vladivostok 2000 ah oh, cool cool yeah and then after that there was um, live uh, concert footage from Red Square with Prodigy 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it was that night. And then it was the first, like, the first episode of Beavis and Bucket. Wow, a... <laughs> man. And that was like uh, fresh air, you know. And first years, the, it was amazing. Yeah. And music scene at that time was amazing. All the uh, and all those uh, bands and artists, you know, uh, alternative rock wasn't that commercialized at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it was before this um, Linkin Park or uh, let's say like Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because we had bands like Incubus, Three Eleven, uh, like you know, uh, Early Limb Biscuit. Uh, yes. It was fine. Corn. Uh, and uh, Offspring before uh, yeah. Pretty Fly for a White Guy, but <laughs> the true stuff. You know, I, I was really at school. I loved all that music, and uh, it was it was really sad to see it going like uh, Vanilla Pop or something. You know, it's it became a very very well thought constructed uh, genre. It, it, it looked like Backstreet Boys. To me, yes, you know? it was like Limp Bizkit became very very. Stupid. Do you think? Do you think that there is like an eternal cycle of, um, like, I mean, cool, cool, cool uh, becomes popular and then it stops being cool, kind of thing? Or, 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 do you understand where I'm going there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I understand. I mean, it's uh, it's a good question. Uh, probably yes, because once somebody sees, uh, you remember that Friends Up interview. When the guy sees, oh, it sold one million records. Yes. Yes, I want more of that. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and, then, and then they start repeating. And you know, uh, the problem starts when when you start to repeat uh, a success that wasn't planned. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> it was a time yeah. and place and people. And it's like you know, Dookie by Green Day, the yeah. first um, 1994, right? The first major label album. Because previous albums like Ter Plank, they were they're were very indie and underground, and this Basket Case and uh, Long View, these two songs and bang, it's, yes. uh, it's punk. It's it's still punk and sounds true, but it's, it's very good, popular. It's so good. Sorry for just a micro interruption. It's so mm-hmm. good what you're saying. It's like kind of like when you when you had a blast in a party and then you try to recreate this the same circumstances like okay you sit yeah, there you yeah, were there yeah, yeah. i had this brand of beer you had this thing in your hand yeah. let's go let's have fun now and it's like mm, it doesn't work like that right <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> because uh, it's all, it's all about searching it's not about planning you know yeah planning is just uh, planning is important but planning is just uh to keep the uh, i mean to keep the entropy at the at a good level not not too much you know Did so you, you know the budgets the the, yes. the deadlines the but uh, to plan, I'll, uh, you know, before you even went to the studio, you think uh, this should be made on API with that microphone, uh, with that drum kit, uh, like, for example, Ludwig drum kit. And I, I know I'm a producer. No, you don't know. You yes. have to set up the mics and listen what's going yes. on and change it and search for the vibes, for the sound, not, not, uh, not try to just... Uh, make some recipe you know yeah. it yeah. doesn't work like that yeah and, 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 and all I, those major pop productions they try to do it over and over again like you know some people like Mark Smart they can repeat a lot of their success but it's very I mean it's very short term pop it's uh, he's got a few really good hits but most of them uh, we forget next year <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah. Who do you think? Who do you think is an engineer that 
uh, or producer that will, um, of course, there are many, but what are your favorite, one of your favorites, maybe that, that you think if you would go to the studio with this person, the journey will be kind of different every time. Or do you think that mm -hmm. everybody finds a comfort zone and stays there? Oh, let me think. Such producer, I don't know. Well, uh, Phil Ramon, I think, was like that. Uh -huh. Sadly, he passed away, but I learned on, on his book and on his records a lot. And uh, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a terrible story. Uh, I, was, I, I had a planned trip to New York. Not, well, sad story. I had a planned trip to New York um, to Frank Filippetti to mix uh, several songs for an album. Yep. And he dies like a week before I came, uh, and I come and Frank is absolutely heartbroken because he worked for decades with Phil and he was his main engineer. Um, George Michael record, Elton wow. John, the first DVD, um, that uh, really good selling Rod Stewart, Jazz Sanders album, It Had To Be You, also, and lots of other projects, you know, and uh, musicals for Broadway. And, um, and it was like, uh, it was a very strange experience for me because uh, Fury Moon was somebody I was chasing in terms of sound and uh, music uh, for years. And now I'm like, uh, Frank and Ellie, they, they, they're very, uh, they're fantastic people, you know, and then I, I realized that I'm sitting on the chair where Phil sat and he just yeah. died a week ago. And, and it was strange. And, But Phil, I think he, he, uh, if you listen to Billy Joel, it's Billy Joel. If you listen mm -hmm. to Barbara Streisand, it's Barbara mm -hmm. Streisand. Yes. You're listening to to his uh, amazing work on uh, Stan Getz and John Gilberto. Uh, all those. Uh, Desafinado and Girl from, <laughs> Girl from Ipanema. That, uh -huh. that yes. album yes, is yes, just, yes, 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 yes. It's just so well engineered. Yeah. It's one of the best albums I've made, I think. Well, and uh, he's like chameleon. He changes with, with the artist, and uh, you can hear his signature. But it's very, very deep and subtle. And uh, I find it, I find uh, it so beautiful. Um, as as I was progressing in, well, as I have been slowly progressing in my career and learning to do some stuff, I have realized that I really like the very eclectic combination that a great music producer needs to have. Forcibly, because it comes from you need to know from wood, from types of wood to uh -huh. to to the most advanced computer processes nowadays. I mean, and and in the middle, yeah. in the middle of that, you need to have a very very high sensitivity. So so you know, I was listening to some commentary commentaries uh, on the Bible because I I've been studying this recently just for fun and and I was hearing what a shepherd used to be, you know, like we nowadays uh, see a shepherd as like this guy who is just like, I don't know, maybe has a dog and it's uh -huh. the, the, the dog is running around. And But I mean, a shepherd back then, like Moses or some stuff like that, it used to be a guy who could fight a fucking lion, you know, like, <laughs> and uh, I mean, because things oh, were not yeah. so so smooth. So so I really like that this, uh, the, the, I don't think, I, 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 and this will bring us, I think, to a fascinating point in the conversation. I am absolutely not terrified about the technological evolution of music uh, because there is no way that you are going to replace this this uh, kind of shepherd that you need to guide the process. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And there is no synth, no computer program, no, in my opinion, no digital process that will ever erase that. No, not only that need, but but that need for the record to be made, uh, but. But that need for society. This is a person who occupies a role in the world. I mean, these are these are very 
and I, I think I brought the metaphor of the shepherd on purpose because these are very because they move the sheep, right? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, because, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, but, but but you get that you get it. I mean, and, and I think it's I get it a lot. it's like yeah. an ancient shepherd, you know. Is there we, because you also have to fight with the lion of the ego of the artist. Uh, I, yeah. I I haven't had um, I mean in my career it ha hasn't produced. You have any... to predict weather. Yeah, you have to predict the weather. You have to be able Absolutely. to look into yeah. advanced like 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 so many things. So so I'm really excited mm -hmm. about that. I I I and that's one of the things that uh, when I see the eventual automation of jobs and things like that and and uh, I I say well music produces me so much anxiety but whew, that's not something I have to worry about <laughs> automation Ooh, yeah. taking away my job. <laughs> Well, automation is, uh, is, is uh, automation. I mean, uh, the, the, the Pro Tools automation, uh, the control <laughs> automation are are really musical instruments. Yes, yes, yes. You make it more human by writing faders. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it's not. It's, it's not. So it's not amazing. computerized. It's so amazing uh -huh. what you're saying that people like. It's actually the opposite. People want to humanize. Well, people want to automate uh, something and. Uh, Fire everyone, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, uh, well, uh, basically, the uh, I first of all, I'm a bit not. Uh, uh, I do not agree with this term, uh, artificial intelligence. Me neither, because, at all. Carry on. Because it's neither. not an artificial intelligence Absolutely in not. a philosophical way. It's just a new type of software, and yeah. that's it. You know, and, and you I'm even more brutal. It. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I'm even more brutal. I call it a gigantic Excel table. That's all it is. It's just a gigantic yeah, Excel, Excel table. There are new things that you can make with it, but, but as a human, you yeah, have to exactly. program it exactly. and evaluate what it does. And it's this judgment, I mean, these automatic mastering things, the people, <laughs> uh, they just, uh, uh, when I've seen this, I, I just remember uh, mastering with Ted Jensen or Bob Ludwig and uh, seeing how they react to what they hear on the source and what, like i didn't i didn't look what knobs they turned of course didn't want that i just uh, i just listened what what comes out of the speakers and uh you just uh, you just can't imagine it's like poetry he writes a new poem you know it's it's like oh, he, he writes a new piece of music it, it, it's creative thing you can't really replace it with um, it doesn't matter how big is the computer. It doesn't have um, human judgment. It doesn't have evaluation. It doesn't have imagination. So, what, what uh, I have a very small uh, question, very point to the point. Mm -hmm. What would you advise to somebody who is uh, kind of doesn't have a budget to go to a studio, and uh, it, he, this person has to decide either I'm going to mix myself or I'm going to send my mix. I mean, I'm I'm going to. Let me put the, the question clearly. I'm gonna either pay for somebody to mix and uh, and uh, or I'm gonna mix it myself and send it to an engineer for mastering. You you know these people make this little sometimes a small yeah. investment for mastering. Or do you think it's not worth even doing that when you're mixing your own, like you're a guy in your home and? Well, it, uh, there's no rule, you know. If it sounds great, it's great. I mean, not all great oh, records are made in the in the top studios. Yes, yes. Not all of them. So. Uh, it's not like a closed club, so everyone is open to 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 make it. And, but um, it's hard to tell um, if the mix is good. You know, uh, if the mix is really good, uh, you can just master it, and that's it. And I remember mastering an album for a guy called Mita from Kazan. Uh, 
He's, he's quite famous now and uh, he's, he's a really good musician and very creative. Uh, they did a project, um, he mixed himself and he sent me all the stems. Although I thought the mixes were fine and uh, I don't really need stems, but uh, it was, it, I mean, it felt like safer for him, so whatever. Yeah. Uh, I probably, I didn't accuse stems of, I hate it. I, I just, I probably matched down guitar stem in one track, 0.5 dB. That's it. I mean, <laughs> probably I, I took some stereo width out of something. But uh, overall, I just mastered it as if it's a stereo file. You know? Um, and, and it was really good and uh, it, it's uh, one of the songs uh, was used in a Netflix uh, oh great yeah, yeah it, it, so it's, it's a very very nice album uh, I must read the most film you know it's a really, a really good studio yes so yes perhaps you to what sorry sorry go ahead go ahead yeah yeah well uh, sometimes the budget is small and I can master at home or in my small studio when it allows uh, to hire, for example, most film studios, uh, it's it's a really good room, well tuned, with really good accurate speakers. So and, and they have uh, very high quality outboard equipment, and uh, you can make these mastering small adjustments that just sum up into the, the record sounds like one thing, like one film. You know, you you remember it as something. Yes. You don't. It, it doesn't fall apart into parts of instruments or sounds. It's just, and uh, hopefully the listener's brain will uh, hear something. One, a song, yeah. not uh, like a cl cluttered sounds that just uh, stand in the way of each other. And uh, uh, people who don't have budget, uh, I mean, uh, it's uh, if you don't have a budget, just learn to mix yourself. Yeah. And, and 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 try to get a budget at the same time and when you get it you'll know probably what to tell to, to the mixer so um uh, with my band for example i i don't like to mix my songs so uh, it's uh, it's just uh, i feel like i did everything when i wrote the song and when i recorded it so it's yes. already i i already like it and i i need to hear uh, a pre-ready product before I send it to the mixing engineer and then I get an unexpectedly good result I wouldn't imagine you know it's uh, that that's the best scenario I think. Uh, that, uh, that's how we worked with Stephen Hake for example are you um, are you a, are you a demanding client or a kind of like collaborative client if you know what I mean oh I'm collaborative yeah always, that's the, same. You know? the same and I don't like uh, uh, same thing with this uh, messengers like Facebook, Telegram, everything. I hate when the, the, the musicians drop just one by one. All 10, the expectations. 15, 10, 15 uh, comments for the mix right when they hear it. And I mean, it's it's probably it's probably not that bad. But keeping track of all those little, uh, it's just you may be mixing something else or you're doing something else and you get yes. this message popping up. I recently got an email from a band called The Bitter Faces. Mm -hmm. It's a blues band and mm -hmm. uh, we're doing a second album now. Uh, really good. They, they, they play really good and we we spent uh, half a day before the session in the evening to set up. So we came in the morning started playing. That's the best. That just, yeah. That's just the best thing. Yeah. And 
um, they just sent me a word file uh, with with all the notes for all the songs. They can spend two weeks, uh, listened, thought, okay, this is this is okay, this is not okay. You change your mind from day to day sometimes, and you have yes. to wait for it yes. for a while. Yeah, and and they just sent me this, and and I look at it, and it's not like, wow, it's a never-ending flood of commands, but a very very focused uh, thing. It's it's really it's really. Um, I appreciate that, yeah. and that's what I try to do. With uh, we just finished an album with, uh, with an artist uh, that was that was a big production, and uh, we recorded it in Georgia in mountains. Uh, wow. The studio was facing the Caucasus. You know, it's 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 beautiful. Um, we recorded it uh, in three uh, periods of ten days each, two months apart. So, like four songs, then we four more songs and adjustments to those songs. And, and the third one in November, and it was the best because we didn't uh, burn out with with the process. If it was one That's month amazing. Yeah. together, yeah. you know. Also, we had some time. We, we lived with the songs, uh, had new ideas. Uh, the artist wrote new songs, you know, and it was very uh, very natural process. And we mixed everything right after we finished with the legs, or like four, first four songs. We recorded and Tim Palmer mixed all four. That's great. And then sent us. And I was, um, there was a lot of uh, discussions and tensions during the process, of course. But um, I tried to keep this flood like like, like a beer dam, you know. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> keep this flood of uh, ideas and comments and just um, wait a few days and then write exact notes what we want and what we like what we like and what we want and so his recall sessions were not like uh, because i'm uh, he's he's a busy very busy producer and mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't want to bother him with just <laughs> just one thing just one thing it's it's just it's impossible to do yeah. so we tried to focus our ideas when we asked for changes so it wasn't forever it was uh, it was it was okay same with mastering yeah. And we mastered one song uh, right before we went to the second part of the recording session. So, you know, the, the idea is oh. you didn't spend uh, most of the budget yet, but you already hear four mixes and one mastering. That's so important. And you can, and you can judge your, uh, not what keep in your head, because when you keep something in your head for months, it's, uh, it's, not, it's like... <laughs> It's changing all the time there. I want to get your I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, I usually, uh-huh. for example, when I'm doing a full record, um, I, I kind of tr- approach to this in the same way as I approach to fixing my house. I mean, when I have a mess in my house, it's like uh-huh. um, you have two options there. You either work in one room forever, and then you get this room ready, and then you go into the next room, or you kind of walk around and and you know start averaging out. And I have find very mm-hmm. positive to to make a first montage of things for people to heal, uh-huh. hear the whole record together instead yeah. of I don't like this what do you think I mean do you do you also find this approach useful when working on an album absolutely yeah. because uh, also uh, like when the um, at the end of the second session I insisted let's start making track sequence mm-hmm. what song is the first second yes, yes we made yes, it yes, like yes. a demo mastering session 
and when you listen to the album, you know, and when you listen to the whole album, absolutely, you start understanding new things. But uh, and, uh, and I mean, after that, two new songs were written, and they were really good. And it's uh, it's just uh, because we just released the, those expectations and thoughts about what will happen. You know, just make it happen and listen. It's it's simple. Some, with, with some artists, it works. With some artists, it doesn't yeah. work. I mean, yeah. You have to be like, uh, I mean, uh, you have to change from project to project and meet the requirements of, because people have different tastes, different workflow, uh, understanding, different passion, different uh, time perception. Some people can plan a year ahead. Some people can't plan a week ahead. Tomorrow. You know, yeah. they, just, they just tomorrow, tomorrow. What about tomorrow? Hey, I'm. Uh, I have a couple hours. Uh, I'm in the studio. <laughs> it's like, like you know, and uh, it's not a bad thing. I mean, we're all different. But uh, when there is a possibility to make some forecasts, plans, and and I uh, mean, the main thing is I, I hate it. You know, when when you hear a mess of tracks and you, you the guy won't send it to expensive mastering engineer all at once. And uh, it's like it's non-refundable. So exactly, <laughs> it's very, it's it's a very you know uh, like uh, neurotic decision. This brings me to another question about the mm -hmm. philosophy of mastering kind of thing. Um, do you see do you see that part of the process of mastering is to make an album coherent, or do you find it cool that songs are different between themselves in a whole record? Uh, it's a great question and. Um, I think it's uh, it's a bit more tricky. You know, the album is coherent when the songs are different. <laughs> That's unexpected. Because you good still answer. have you have one voice of a singer in every song, or maybe two. Okay, in the band, right? You have the the signature style of the drummer of the guitarist, but the songs are different. The lyrics are different. The vibes are different. The tempos, everything, you not know, the keys. So. Uh, the main idea of mastering is not to make the same polish like uh, frequency curve and everything. It's the opposite to good mastering. Good mastering is like unwrapping the tension of every song mm. on its own. So when you sequence them, it becomes an album. And uh, that's amazing. That's 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 what I think. And I I really hate when all songs are same loudness on the album. It's it's terribly wrong. Because uh, if you listen to classic albums, song levels are different. You just don't mention it because you're listening to music. And uh, that's what Tim Young told me at Metropolis. And same, uh, same with Bob does. And you listen, for example, Massive Attack Mezzanine, uh, which is a great album. Yes. Tim Young mastered it. It's very distorted. It's very saturated. It's very aggressive. And um, the first song is loud, the second is loud, and the, the third teardrop is, is even louder. It's, it's just, uh, although it's a mellow song with, with beautiful voice of uh, Liz Fraser, but uh, levels and distortion, it's not just like one, uh, one shallow, uh, how to say it, uh, cause and effect. Yes. Thing. like it's it's uh, like it's it's a ballad 
it shouldn't be distorted. It's it, it's a loud song. It should be. It's it's too primitive. But it takes Sometimes, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of character to be able to make decisions like that. Because uh, when you're starting, yes. when you're starting, you're, you you want to fit the templates and the um, and the checkpoints. I understand it. Yeah. Well, that's uh, not every engineer can afford that luxury of making decisions sure. and mastering. You know, some engineers, some some are very conservative. Like you know, Bob Katz, he's a great engineer. And he's very conservative. Yeah. He's very accurate with music, and uh, and it's fantastic. And those styles and genres uh, that he does, like acoustic singer-songwriter, jazz, and it's the perfect fit. You know, but Tim Young, for example, I heard a lot of things from uh, mixing engineers in the game. Now they say, "Oh, I don't like Tim Young." He's, He's ruining everything. He's making it loud. He's making it distorted, and uh, and I thought like, wow, that's that's very interesting because uh, Tim actually made uh, so many iconic records that are deliberately distorted yes. and saturated, like I mean, Clash London Calling or Sex Pistols. Never mind the bollocks. If you don't distort them enough, it's not Sex that's Pistols. That's not that anymore. record. Yeah. Rare. And same with the Smiths, same with Max Preachers, Elbow, Placebo, everything he did. One of my favorite albums is New Order, Get Ready. And uh-huh. There's uh, 2001, and uh, there's hot clipping on the CD. There are red lights, you know? Not true pics, but <laughs> sample pics. I, I remember and fighting. I remember fighting now. I, I, I really like Tool. I, I mean, it's one of my favorite bands. I grew up with it, and I remember fighting on the online forums, as, as most Tool fans do, uh, uh-huh. about the fact... I mean, people were complaining about the master and about the, the noise distortion, that how it can be that they work 13 years on a record and they don't realize that this is happening. And I'm like, no, man, uh-huh. <laughs> you're not, you don't get it. You don't get it. I mean, oh. this is absolutely a part of the art, and then and, and, and that's how it's delivered. And, and I don't understand sure. why... People have this expectation of things being so clean and transparent all the time. Well, I, I don't I don't know. You know, well, when I was listening to Justice for All mm-hmm. uh, by Metallica on a cassette mm-hmm. as, a, as a young teenager, like 12 years old, navigating through Moscow, you know, walking <laughs> to school, to musical school, I wanted it loud and distorted and everything. You know, it's uh, that aggressive mid-range of the album. People complain the bass is too low. Well, it's a good idea. It was a good idea to make it low because uh, when they, they make it loud, it's not it's not that album anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's not about hearing all the instruments. It's about getting the vibe. Exactly. So, um, what they did with uh, Jason personally is terrible, but uh, but that decision on the bass, I think it was right. Yeah. And um, and when Death Magnetic came out, you know. And those people, like of my age and uh, older, they already got a BMW. They listen to Jazz FM, and then oh, my good old Metallica releases an album. They put it, and it's distorted. <laughs> yeah, it is. Come on, it's Metallica. Yes. It's supposed to be distorted, exactly. and, <laughs> and and that all that thing with loudness wars. I think it's just uh, it's just uh, it doesn't really. Um, there are loudness wars, but. Um, um, sometimes it's part of the art, and uh, I don't. I don't think you know this UFS thing. It, it yep. shows absolutely nothing, because I I checked with students. Uh, just we had many records from many years, like loaded into Pro Tools, and you hear like um, Green Day and it's minus six. Yes, and then you hear like you know um, 
something like Bleak 182, it's the same loudness, it's minus nine. And and then I opened uh, the track we did in London with Tim Young, and it was direct vinyl session. So Whoa. the purest and cleanest chain. And we just recorded a digital copy into Sadie, and he mastered that, and that version is on iTunes. But uh, the the real deal is the vinyl because it's just it was cut just mechanically from the mixing console to the mastering console. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I look at that track, and it's uh, I was really happy to see. You know, it sounds louder than Green Day in <laughs> minus eleven, <laughs> and it's not it, it's not normalized, so it's just. Uh, it's just uh, the ratio between the, the musical information and unwanted something that you undeliberately carry from the room, from the circuits, from the instruments, all the sub that you don't hear from the speakers, but it's still there and it drives the cone and, you know, it makes, makes it less loud. And it's all those things. So the ratio was, I remember there was some noise of minus 60, I think. We had probably 12 synthesizers and drum machines and I had a 16 channel Neve mixer and uh, API 312 inputs so uh, only level and panning that was our idea so uh, if you want to change the sound change it on the synth exactly exactly and it was yeah and uh, it was a great session and I remember this I hear noise and it's like minus 60 dB and I think wow it's too loud or minus 60, minus 70, a bit noise, and, and team says, no, it's not too loud. You know, <laughs> because all the mixes you, uh, you hear in your normal life are so muddy, yes. all that noise is covered, but here it's still transparent and open. That of course, you through the music here, that noise a bit, but forget it, it's not a problem. How do you feel about, this is a super technical question, how do you feel about uh, summing mixers versus inside-the-box mixing? Like, do you find the value? I, I own a Nif uh, 5060, and I personally, I just uh -huh. love that feeling, you know, but have you have you experimented with summing mixers, and do you like them, or how? Yeah, I did, but I think it's, uh, it's just uh, as long as uh, in-the-box summing appeared, we got an option. Yeah, and everyone got noticed. So now we're thinking whether it's in the box or analog or hybrid. I mean, uh, it all depends on the workflow and the engineer. It all depends on the recalls, on, on many, many yeah. things, you know. Yeah, and uh, that, That's the best answer possible. Sometimes uh, it's uh, it probably, you can saturate uh, in the box what you want and uh, make more rides in automation to, to make it sound more analog. Uh, but still you have this possibility to come back within two months and open it again and change something because recalls are now just it's a must you have to be flexible and absolutely um, return all the settings uh, anytime that's, that's because, something that's something that people people who have never worked in a true analog environment um, mm -hmm. do not on and, and also and also especially people who are entering to the field of music production uh, they don't understand the the time factor really well because they have never had the pressure of somebody paying you for doing something so it yeah. sounds everything sounds very romantic and stuff until you have an one hour recall for a three hour session mixing session so it's like I mean, you need to, as you said, you need to be able to balance it. Um, 
to balance things out and and just to be able to use the resources properly. I mean, that's it. I just, I just, um, I, I'm kind of like taking us towards the analog versus digital conversation, which is, uh, mm-hmm. in my point, is a futile conversation because I mean, there is no necessity even to have it, and I, I want to have that conversation mm-hmm. to see if we can both reach the same the same conclusion, which well, is that. <laughs> We are going always going to live in a hybrid world because for uh, because yeah. people people forget about something so important when they're thinking about music production that humans like to have fun. Humans uh, like yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, humans like yeah, like yeah, to yeah, touch yeah. something, to grab things. It's we are not only things that. So so where where do you stand mm-hmm. on that on that? Well, I I always answer that uh, this question has no general answer, but each situation. Uh, has an answer. So, I mean, uh, are we recording this to tape or to Pro Tools, for example? Yes, but uh, I mean, uh, do do you want a mic emulation or you want a mic pre-emulation or you want a mic pre? Because mic pre-emulation, 10 years ago when I started, uh, was a joke. Now it's a real thing that really works sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, um, you, you can you can always answer this question to yourself in each situation based on time, budget constraints, and sonic changes. So, um, anyway, we're listening to analog after D two A. The speaker cone, you know, it's analog. And also, <laughs> so and it's, also not, your, it's, it's never yeah, it's never yeah. did it's never did hundred percent digital. Even though most of the job might be in the box, you you still has microphones, and, yeah. and then you had loudspeakers uh, that play back. So. And uh, I think that way. Also, about analog summing, some projects, you know, once I, I did that band, you mentioned that uh, Black Delta movement from, uh-huh. uh, from Hull in UK. Uh, they were in Moscow for a couple of gigs, and uh, the club owner, uh, Nash, uh, introduced uh, them to me. We just had beers, and I said, oh, what is tomorrow morning? Let's record something. And they said, oh, we got a new song. And we just got to the studio and four hours we recorded all live with awesome. headphones. Uh, very aggressive. They're really cool live. And uh, uh, when I started mixing, I, I mixed in the box and I did four versions, I think. And they said, yeah, we'll like it. And I thought, no, just the energy is not that. And I just, okay, I said, okay, I'm changing the concept. So I took... Um, um, there was an SSL 900 console there. So I took two tracks each time. I was layering like it's monotype, like uh-huh. Jeff Emerick, you know? Yes. I took, uh, like, I just jotted down, okay, left is tone uh, one, uh, left guitar, left overhead, center, bass, kick, snare, vocal, right. Oh, that's great. Second guitar, Second home, second overhead. And then I just summed kick with the snare, then the sound That's of kick amazing, of the snare man. with the bass, and writing all the time. Uh, not writing automation, but writing in real time and printing. And then that thing with the vocal, then the left channel, then LCR, and I balanced it. Every time I layered a little bit of tape delay and a little bit of spring reverb, <laughs> <laughs> and EQ'd and compressed That's awesome every layer. Amazing. And uh, it, so it's like a LCR mix, uh, and 
when I sent that, they said, wow, and I, I thought myself, yeah, it sounds powerful. It sounds like them live. And uh, Mike Marsh, a uh, great mastering engineer, who they sent it to him. Yeah. Um, he's in, uh, in southern England, I think, now, mm-hmm. in Sussex. But he used to work at the exchange in London for many years. Well, um, yeah. he he just ripped me. Just uh, it's incredible. The the stereo width is so big, but you didn't uh, spoil the center because when I get mixes with that width, the center is muffled usually. Yeah, I have that and, problem uh, a lot, and I, I haven't yeah, considered so, what you did. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and and I just said that uh, it was like layering. It was a LCR mix, like vintage style thing. <laughs> and uh, eventually, it was the first track I produced that was on BBC Six. So great, congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Have you found yourself using this LCR uh, for people who don't know what we're talking about? This left, center, right. I mean, it's just basically. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Have like, you found yourself wait. using this technique a lot? Or it was... Well, I use it some. Mm-hmm. I use it to some extent, and uh, I recently really liked. You know what? I really liked saturation in mid side on the yes. two bus. Yes. Yes. Not yes. because I don't like stereo saturation. It just it creates something weird and. Uh, very muddy and slow you know it's just uh you, you lose that center and punch of the mix so uh, i do put some mid-side matrix then different mono saturators on center and size and then back to left and right and uh i can even automate that and so it's just uh just a nice thing it's one of the beauties of vinyl Really, because vinyl is mid-side, and all the distortion that happens uh, no, that's um, on the cutting stylus and then on the playback is in mid-side. So the sender is always focused. Even with tape, you don't get that sender image uh, that you get with the vinyl. That's because, amazing. Uh, because it's, it's, it's lateral and vertical, right? It's, it's like mono is left and right, and the stereo difference is up and down. Mm-hmm. And you get this uh, encoded into left and right on cartridge. There are two magnets, are like 90 degrees, you know, and this picks these movements and this picks these movements. Yeah. That's a beautiful technology. I think it was invented by Alan Bloomline. Yeah, man, that's a genius. Yeah. I, I, I always say Alan Bloomline, and well, for me, my personal hero is uh, Jean Baptiste Fourier. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> I actually yeah. I, I have in my background of my computer I have a photo of Jean Baptiste Fourier with the wow. with the with the glasses of like a boss you know mm-hmm. <laughs> because I mean uh, uh, for people who don't know who am I talking about I'm talking about the person who understood that waveforms can be broken down into simple components so this applies yeah, yeah. both to light and both to sound and so basically every single technology we have now is based on the mathematics it's I mean, based on his invention yeah. he's he's the, the the granddaddy of our world and this is going to bring me to a question that came to my mind a second ago mm-hmm. you know for example when you read the constitution of the united states or again or the bible these texts that are like constitutional you know big they say uh-huh. like they yeah, speak yeah. about the past being built uh, on the shoulders of giants you know uh, uh-huh. and but but we have gone through such a technological journey you know and things have changed so much do you think that our the past engineers and producers and in the recent past i mean last 40 years uh, set uh-huh. the foundation for something or or the present engineer can look to the past engineer because i think this happens a lot and said ah oh, you know nothing you know what i mean 
Well, you you know, it's uh, it's incredible how much we can learn from those guys. Exactly. And uh, uh, my uh, one thing I I really uh, want to share. I, I I told about this several times. Uh, I think, but no problem. Uh, is the the new, recent remix of Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to it? It's 2019. Abbey Road by the Beatles uh-huh. remixed. I know I haven't heard it. No. Oh, you gotta check that out. You yeah. just uh, you just mentioned how much uh, very speed detuning mm-hmm. is there on the original, uh-huh. and it's not because the tape machine is wrong. It's not. It's deliberate. It's artistic, and it's like pitch, time, oh. and balance, and EQ are like one thing. You know, it's it's amazing what J- Jeff Emerick and George Martin did on that album, and. Uh, it's the first album on a solid-state desk, you know, because oh. the previous albums are made on uh, tube equipment. But uh, Abbey Road is recorded on the EMI TG console, mm-hmm. the, the famous TG console. And yes. uh, um, they didn't use it for drums and vocals. They still used the um, V76 preamps and uh, tube circuits because Jeff just after tests, he said... Uh, I'm sorry, I won't repeat that drum sound on solid state equipment. It won't sound like that. So we have to use some of that and some of this. And when they developed the console, uh, there was a, some of the like auxiliary rooms in, at Abbey Road, and they duplicated all the paths. So while they <laughs> recorded, while they recorded uh, uh, music, another engineer was recording. Uh, a second copy on a solid-state console so they could compare and fine-tune the design. So, so it was like half a year of research. That's why that's, TG, it's, it's like, uh, well, this plugin uh, from Waves is amazing, you know, yeah. this TG plugin. Yes. But this, the console itself is just, and, uh, and all that stuff together, you know, and all the detuning and very speeding that uh, Jeff did, you, you just hear that uh, those are very subtle things. And they're meant to be subtle because they're too obvious. They just kick you off this, out of the song. They shouldn't be very, you know, uh, very obvious. Not that you want to hide the trick, but the thing is, you don't want to distract from the singer or from the guitarist playing his part. And uh, that, that's one thing. Another thing about uh, past engineers, I mean, uh, I would say that the book I read by Hermann von Helmholtz, <laughs> The Sensations uh, of the Tone. Another cat, another big cat, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just it's just an eye-opener because it was before electricity. I mean, before recording. And uh, it just sums up uh, anatomy and uh, physiology of hearing with uh, music theory and uh, acoustics and physics all together, you know? The fact that the guy had all these different uh, sub-genres of science in one head and could write such a simple and, uh, like, uh, focused book, it's it's just ridiculous. Seems like the first first Pro Tools rig rig ever. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And uh, that book is like, you know, uh, there are so many... uh, I would say uh, myths and legends about sound running around engineers. Yes. People tell it to each other, and sometimes you can't critically uh, 
think whether it's right or wrong. And sometimes it takes it for granted, and you, you, it's it's hard to filter all that stuff. Yeah. Some books, some advices, but that book is just uh, just a healing. <laughs> but I think bomb, I, you know, it's, you're right that it's hard to filter, but it's important to adopt a disposition in which we don't have this modernity bias towards the past. You know. We, that I think yeah. generates a lot of the problems that we have in the present. It's like, like ah, well, you know, we know better. You know, no, we always knew better. You know, until the yeah. well, current fact, time where we were. Yeah, yeah. And well, people don't know that vocals being tuned uh, for like sixty years. They <laughs> think that it, it started with all the tune in two thousand one, but which is not. It was always being tuned, and since like uh, eighty one, it was tuned digitally with. Uh, Intide harmonizer or AMS, uh, DMX or or other equipment, lexicon, uh, time stretcher, and uh, when they listen to records like Nirvana, they wouldn't say the vocal is tuned, but it is tuned. It is tuned. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so, I want to uh, share with you something that I think is super important. Uh, it came to me from Fab Dupont. I was ch checking oh, out yeah. the uh, Pure Mix, and uh, and uh, he said something that absolutely blew my mind because uh, I always wanted to um, to understand why we make perfect records I mean perfect I'm not talking about why we go into to such a length you know to make a record uh, and he said something that blew my mind man this is the, the the idea when you go to a show and you look at a band per, per, perhaps you heard this already I don't know when you look to a show and you look at a band performing you're in a you're in a venue and there are 2,000 people and your girlfriend is holding or your wife is holding your hand and you have a beer in your hand, and then you gave mm -hmm. her a kiss while the song was playing, and you had a sip of beer, and you looked around you, and there was this euphoria, and you feel, man, my skin is getting in chicken right now, I promise you. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, you and you feel so much, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If I would play to you a recording of that show, most likely the performance was shit, I mean, <laughs> or, or not <laughs> ideal, uh, and it uh -huh. will never produce the feeling that you had in that moment because the feeling is a composite of the fact that your favorite artist was in the room and that you were yeah, your sure and so yeah. a record needs to be crafted to such perfection because you want to be able to recreate that same feeling on every play bam you know oh yeah oh that's that's a great idea uh, i i can add uh thought that yeah um, what I always tell to musicians, and it's a, it's a, it's a very hard way with artists who make uh, not much recordings in the studio and play a lot of shows with a huge concert experience, uh, that it's not really, you know, when, when the live show is over, when it's going on, when, when I'm in front of house, for example, I work with Vadim uh, Elinkrik, the mm -hmm. great trumpet player, great yeah. musician, uh, for two and a half years. And when you're front house uh, riding the show uh, it's you have to be there 100% of the time with your brain and yes. ears and clear mind because you have to be open to potential problems that can evolve unexpectedly you know and it's a show so so that kind of uh, that kind of thing and when it's over it doesn't matter anymore. that's it it's over it's gone you get a beer. You 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 like chat with musicians. It, it's always like a stress and relief thing after the concert, you know. But it doesn't matter how it sounded anymore. <laughs> but in the studio, it's the opposite. The most 
interesting things will happen to a record after you stop That's recording. So true. That's after so you true. stop because uh, people things. people will make love listening to that record. For example, that's such an interesting thing that yeah. will happen to that record. For example, yeah, <laughs> it's more interesting so, than the studio. <laughs> so it doesn't. It's not matter much the, the emotional vibe in the studio in the moment, but you have to think it, it, it matters for performance and for creativity. But I mean, people will not know that vibe unless you translate it through music. Yes, and you have to. It's a different room. It's a different. Why do we have this good acoustics in studios? Uh, because uh, why we're not recording? What well, some people record just in regular rooms. Because uh, there will be another room on top of your exactly, room exactly. on the playback, and all those rooms are just random all over the planet. You can't predict uh, room modes uh, in yes. all the homes. You know yes. it's impossible. So you have to make a like um, a very I wouldn't say clean, but like uh, perfect, as you said, like very very focused uh, record that delivers the most important part of the sound through most of the speakers yes. first, and then details second, and that's why we need the mastering. And, and also, it needs to be full of those bubbles, you know, like our beer, the beer that you're drinking has those bubbles that, you know, when you get it close to your mouth, you feel a little bit of, of the freshness of the beer, you know, the, the record needs to oh, have this effervescence, you know. Uh, I'll go and grab, I'll go and please, grab a beer after it, the man. show, yeah, after the show, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, as you want. Yeah, like I mean, the 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 whole thing is ju is just. Um, I mean, it's not just about the acoustic perfection. It's about uh, it's about the soul that is put into it, and nothing of this is trivial. Like, and 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 that's mm -hmm. that's the magic that happens in the studio. And and it, this is taking us slowly to another topic that I want to cover, which is psychology, because uh, I became mm -hmm. super 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 interested in, in. I mean, I was actually my life changed after I arrived to Carl Jung because. Because I, I mean, I, everybody that I admired was kind of like Carl Jung, Carl Jung, Carl Jung, Carl Jung, and 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 then I I, I landed on him, and I don't want to go into the details. The fact is that I started thinking about psychology a lot, and uh, and uh, whenever I speak with people about mixing or produ production nowadays, I start speaking about psychology, uh, because I I personally realized that that my main technical problems came from the psychological side, because I was I was letting my mind drive me to make too many steps unnecessary steps because I had the necessity to impress my clients uh, because I had the necessity to to show myself as an authority and these were problems that were overcoming you see on my on my uh, knowledge on how to make a record they were uh -huh. coming on my the control of my own self um, do you find well this is an obvious question I mean it's obvious that a, a mm -hmm. psychology uh, is a determinant factor in making a record how do you kind of handle the room, I mean, when you made the musicians and you start preparing the whole thing, uh -huh. did, can you share well, with me some thoughts that have come to your mind about this? Uh, one of my favorite things is uh, clear space. Mm -hmm. The concept of something not occupied yet, you know, three channels in the console, yeah. three mics, ah, free equipment, excellent. you know, excellent. ready I to go, want ready to... to go, yeah, but, but free. I don't want to, you know, um, to occupy everything from the start because there should be some room for uh, further ideas, further uh, that's experiments. Yeah. That's that's important. Second, I if it's a, I mean, if it's a big band session, uh, it's a terrible situation when the manager sends the same same SMS to everyone 10 a.m. in the studio. 
the session ah, yeah, is yeah, that's joined, so stupid. Yeah, that's that, that because you have to in the piano tuner first. <laughs> then you need the then you need the piano player to check to quality check the tuning if he's comfortable. Then the, the bass and guitars and you know if it's like they can come and you adjust the scale of the guitar to the piano. So it's like it's not just green lights from the tuner. That's and, sucks. and, and That's the vocalist is sitting there like oh yeah yeah the trumpet player has to play before he. And when he is warming up, uh, the room is occupied by him. Yeah. You, you can't do anything else there. And then uh, the drummer has to set up the kit. And, uh, you know, just managing first two hours of setup uh, so people arrive and smoothly do what they yes. want to do yes. before yes. they start playing, is, it's, a very, it's a very important art of just uh, setting up the session. Because later on, you just focused on music and you cut the songs. And it goes like like this. Yeah. Because if it's not, if the piano is not tuned, or I mean the uh, the scale of the guitar is just randomly tuned by some guy, some tech guy somewhere, and the actual piano is out of tune with this guitar. So the, the I mean the, the intervals are different. Uh, it's uh, it doesn't sound like harmony. And yeah. It sounds very together. boring doesn't sit together it, it, it sounds boring you don't get this impression you had in your head uh, when you compose the track but you don't hear it uh, on the record and what's the point so is that's there, it I mean is there something in, yeah. in, in, more in your psychology that you found that you it's not necessarily about doing wrong but uh -huh. it was a good insight uh, psychology I think uh, what you said uh, when you first started I also when I first started I paid too much, I gave too much credit to uh, things that occupied my time and attention, but didn't matter um, in that particular situation for that record. It was more like, uh, you know, like a ritual. So, you know, you're doing the right thing. And, <laughs> and as a young engineer, you're more confident. But it's not absolutely not need for this album or this artist or this record, you know, and it's just... Because there are way too many things to do. It will take forever. You know, you can uh, you can make mic shootouts. You can tune drums. Yeah, you yeah. can you can change drum kits. You can uh, I don't know. You can pick the right preamp for the right source uh, because they they do color sounds. Of course, it's true. But of course. but I mean, uh, uh, if all of them are Neve or all of them are SSL or API or Trident or whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Studios survived for decades with one type of preamp on yeah. all records. Reggae, hard rock, pop, jazz, everything. This yeah. studio has this console. That's it. And that's how those great records were made. And now we have this variety and this Lego so we can play with it, but uh, not when the artist is in the room. <laughs> I, 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 I am personally very, um, very aggressive. I mean, very, very... I don't have to call it punk or aggressive. I mean, it's like, I don't like to deliberate when I don't have to deliberate, as you're saying. And it's just mm -hmm. like, man, this is going to sound great. Let's just go. Let's go, you know, play, yeah. you know, play music because because this is not about the, the experiments are done before and, and there is a aha moment that you obtained in a point of your life and then you apply it to a certain situation. But I remember a famous quote from Steve Albini, which is that, 
the the best records are recorded outside of the studio meaning <laughs> meaning that i mean you land into the studio and, and you just sit down and do it already there i mean you don't don't sit down to think so much about things but but i do have a question about this and uh, perhaps it's a mistake i was recurrently by the way i want to give you a mega uh, official strange news but we are closing two of our studios out of the three we had as of yesterday Ooh. yes Ooh. yes yeah it's fine i mean it had something that had to happen in a point and mm. uh yeah yesterday i signed the contract to cancel i mean i saw my studio like okay bye like i mean mm. the studio that i built with my own hands with my with my friends uh, studio b we're gonna keep studio a um but I, I mean i'm i'm kind of okay with this uh, it's hard but but i'm doing it preemptively i don't expect the market to come back to the same place oh uh, okay uh okay. and uh, and this was something that was going to happen in two years uh the way i see ah, okay. yeah in my opinion i mean the way i see dth okay. um dth is a beautiful force uh and it will continue but the way i see dth is like a like a um, teenager girlfriend that you had you know and it was was that love real yes it's a real it's real love uh but there is always an eventuality when you're gonna move on uh and uh, this is kind of like a i don't know how to call it when you say if breaking news <laughs> that this is gonna happen well i got it well uh Good luck with your future projects. And yeah. uh, I mean, I think uh, I take personally very, you know, um, very easy myself. Is I moved uh, also from my room now. I just didn't prolong yes. the rental, and um, uh, it, it becomes a per hour room at the Gamadvianka studio again. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can always book it. But uh, uh, when I read the memoir of uh, Phil Ramone, Mm -hmm. The A&R Studios, one of the mates, uh, Paul yes. Simon, uh, still crazy after all these years. Then Blood on the Tracks by uh, Bob Dylan. Then Paul McCartney Rem, Atlantic Crossing by Roger Stewart. Uh, all the Billy Joel albums. Uh, yep. Well, loads of them. It was located in three different places over the years. Who would know? Yeah, I you didn't know. Oh, the, 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 the owner of the building sells the building. Okay, we're finding a new room. Exactly. 52nd Street. And that's why the album by Billy Joel is named Second <laughs> Street. It's where the studio located. Yeah, so uh, after that, and he writes it so, like with such an easiness, you know. It's like, uh, I mean, for American mentality, it's easier. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. They're, they're migrating between cities and states all their life. Yeah, They're yeah. very, very... Um, uh, Europe is not like that, and Russia is not like that, and Latin America, I think, is not like that. No, it's not like that. Either no. you just leave for um, London, or or if you're in, in the periphery, you leave for Caracas, you know, like yes. to study, to, to, to get a job, and something like that. But uh, in America, it's all the way. You know, For me, it was very, very strange to see that Ted Jensen, uh, mm -hmm. legendary mastering engineer, who lived all his life in New York, and mm -hmm. his, I was in his room in uh, Chelsea Market, and... Uh, he had a Statue of Liberty in the wind. Ah. Very far away, but it was there. And, uh, and those beautiful Bowles and Wilkins, uh, now two speakers, and, uh, sounded amazing. And uh, they kind of stopped that business because it was a 20-year lease. And uh, yeah. in these 20 years, uh, Chelsea District and Midbiking District, from uh, hipster abandoned stuff, became a very, very uh, high-priced uh, real estate location. It changed a lot, you know, and it's like, um, it used to be like, you know, like, 
like our play, like Arma. But yeah. now it's it's a full uh, blowing uh, business center and stuff, and and the high line, you know, all this all this yes. stuff changed. So so the owner of the building couldn't really prolong the on, on the same uh, terms. Terms. Yeah. Yeah. So they bought two buildings. One of them they built from scratch. They just bought land and built the studio in Nashville from scratch. And That's he's amazing. in Nashville now. Yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, you know, for... you know, I told to Ilya, yeah. to my partner when I called him, because I was the one mm -hmm. who initiated this process of, of closing uh -huh. two of our three studios. Uh, uh -huh. I told him this, you know what I used to love a lot? Caracas. And you know what I used to love a lot? London. Mm -hmm. And I don't live there anymore. And one has to be ready just to move on, you know... Uh, this is a, I feel this is like a super Darwinian time in which anything that is weak is going to fall catastrophically. That's how I feel. Maybe I'm overreacting, but that's how Probably. I... Probably. Well, who knows? But yeah, it's it's also about risks. Yeah. It's like, yeah, if you, if you feel like... Uh, I don't know. Well, I've seen just a month ago, uh, I went to State of the Art Studios in London. Mm -hmm. Do you know it? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Sota, State uh -huh. of the Art. Yeah. Um, they shut down a month ago and sold everything. Ah, that we and were it, discussing this on Facebook, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Or, or no, it was they, another one. Anyways, carry on. It sorry. was another one. It was yeah. another one. Uh -huh. and this one is. Uh, it's. It's very. Another one was the church, I think. No? Yeah. Yeah. Or not the church. Yeah. But this one is. Uh, it had a beautiful EMI TG console, and they, they sold that to France, and they they still have some mics available, but it's like. Perfect condition U67 for 12,000 pounds. So it's, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> not, uh, I don't know what to do with this information that it's available. <laughs> yeah. It's available, but it, somebody might buy it, you know. And um, um, So they closed? They, they, they closed, they shut the studio, they sold the piano, they sold everything. And uh, It's happening uh, because of COVID or, or no? It's happening now or... I th it's happening now, and I think uh, they were weak already by the start yes. of the problem. So, yes, yes. so they didn't have much uh, airbag, you know. The, the, yeah. the, there was, they were on the brink already. So, um, the the thing is that that studio, um, uh, Stephen Hay told me it's one of the best tracking rooms in London, and he often he he. He said that I don't really need much in my small studio because I always go to real world, to Peter, or, or to to State of the Ark. Both rooms are perfect. And um, and also Chris Kimsey, who is a very famous producer, I'm, I'm happy to say I, I met him early in my career. I didn't even, cool. I didn't even start. Into, then we worked a little together, and he's great. He, you know, he's very, very... Um, vibe-oriented producer and he creates real rock and roll you know? all those stones albums like some girls uh steel wheels sticky fingers uh, mm -hmm. it's all his mixes you know and and, and recording and um uh, he just uh we were sending a project to him and he said i'll book this room at state of the art and he said a fantastic mix on that tg console with soundboard manly stuff and it sounds amazing um, so it was a bit sad to see but again you know this console goes to Paris so some studio opens yeah. there so so never that's why I was I, I had uh, many times people approached me let's build a studio mm -hmm. and uh, I never felt like 
I'm ready to build a commercial studio. I can build build my workplace for my small tasks like yeah. mixing, mastering, overdubbing, pre-production. Yes. But to build a full-blown studio with per-hour rentals, uh, maintenance, equipment, everything. And, I mean, we have already, like, Muslim Studios, Igor Matvienko Studios. Yes. And, uh, I mean, the, the price of that construction... You can do several albums for that. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, the I rationale think, uh, that's behind what our I think. Yeah, that's kind uh, of the rationale behind our closure. To have a studio mm. has been a wonderful experience. I loved it. You know, I really well, loved it's it. amazing. Yeah. Um, I don't agree. You know, some people say that I, I remember when I was a child, my father always wanted to buy a boat, and and many people were advising us against buying a boat. They were saying, "Oh, uh, you know." To own a boat, you're only happy the day you buy it and the day you sell it. They say this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not saying, I know. And I don't like this kind of mentality. It's like, it is obvious that it's going to be a hassle. And it is obvious that it's going to be expensive. I mean, and you do it, if you don't know it, when you're doing, before you get into it, you're stupid. I mean, it's just how it is. And and I always said that it always felt every single day of that studio. F- I mean, by the way, DTH is not closing. It's just like we're shrinking our operation. Like Yeah, 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 right. And, and so condensing. Uh, but every day of mm-hmm. that operation, it feels like a Breaking Bad episode kind of thing. You know, like you, wow. <laughs> you had a shotgun, you know, you had to go and deal with some bad guys like always. And uh, we had uh, that story. It, it, it It's worth a book. I mean, it's been a fascinating story. And, and I'm really happy that, I mean, I was calling for this shrinkage a long time ago because, because ah. yeah, yeah. Even before the, 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 I mean, I was t- telling well, to my partners, like, guys, let's be realistic, you know. And then when uh-huh. this happened, before we open, we are going to open just smaller, and that's it. Like, oh, yeah, that's that, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's the same idea, I think. Well, uh, uh, what do I want to say? Um, I had a okay. question. If you remember, okay. I had a question before I went to this segue yep. of DTH. Uh, the question was the following: um, When you, because you mentioned mic shootouts, right? And uh, and I really, uh-huh. I tend to do. I just want to know, do you do you mic shoot out the same room many times, or do you find sweet spots and then you apply it, apply it to them, or do you believe that, not believe, I mean, or have you proven to yourself that the instrument and the position will always create a different? Let me. I'm saying. I think I'm saying this uh-huh. question in a very complicated way. You have one drum kit, drum kit A, and you you mic shoot it in your room and you find a good spot that you like. Uh huh. Do you repeat this mic shootout every time you record somebody else, if you have the time, of course? Or do you go to your sweet spot again? You see where I'm going? Is your mic shootout a, a usual part of your day-to-day well, routine? I, I tend to think that um, as long as acoustically the sound is good and the room is ready to handle the low end that the kit produces, um you can be more or less accurate with uh, placing mics, but uh, all the sounds will be good. Yeah. More or less, you know? And uh, I, I sometimes, when we recorded this album in Georgia, uh, it was, by the way, it was fantastic. You know, I'll, I'll show the album to you yeah. soon. I would love it's to hear yet it, yeah. to be released. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we'll have fun listening to it. We had eight channels. <laughs> Excellent. And it's a folks rice colored USB <laughs> card. And uh, we had um, two Neve 1073 uh, preamps. I got my uh, 
beloved uh, Great River NV1. It's oh, just I mean, it's my amazing. favorite. I have it right. I'm using it right now. Oh. I mean, that, that's the the preamp oh. that I'm using right now. It's just so amazing. Right. Yeah, it's my favorite uh, transformer mic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and also we have four channels of uh, TL audio tube pre's. Mm -hmm. So that's it. And so I just thought that we would set things up and not change much because uh, the DIs on uh, on every preamp might be like uh, stolen for overdubbing synthesizers anytime. But the, the lines were just um, the vocal was um, Neumann U one forty seven. Yep. With 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 the Great River, now guitar and bass were two Neves, and uh, drums were four channels of this tube uh, T audio. And I uh, put the ribbons on the overheads uh, coals, and uh, it was like you could move it to the piano, record the piano yes. with those channels, then move yes. it back. It was like that. I, I wanted to set up something simple and then not think much about disconnecting and connecting cables. But the first day we did a really cool thing because there was a nice uh, electrical engineer uh, in the area. And uh, he, 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 I think he's from um, something from, um, how to say it, um, military radio specialist Okay. back in the days. Now he is retired. So, he knows physics well, and he got his soldering iron, and he got his multimeter, and we got a bunch of resistors, <laughs> and we just biased every path. Oh. I just put uh, an iPhone uh, with uh, like two Springsteen born to run yes. on repeat in the room near the mic, and we just put the resistor between the mic and the preamp to find the, the proper uh, impedance uh, oh, reduction. Man. That's great. So it's like a straight path. Then we did the same with, between the output and the input of the A to D. And then we even bias tubes by ear. And some, at some point, you just hear from the speaker like it's, uh, like it's a focused uh, camera. Mm, mm, mm. That's a it's great very, way to put very, it. Yeah, so it's like the, all the model goes away. You just hear the sound and nothing else. And uh, the clarity we just spent... Uh, the musicians were very unhappy, but I said, studios apart, it's just built from scratch, and it's it's a nice place, but nothing is connected. So let's connect it the way I know. We have eight, only eight channels, not much time uh, <laughs> to spend. So uh, at, as long as we did this, you know, just, just put the mic, and uh, sometimes I would put the headphones and find a really good spot for the overheads. Mm -hmm. But that's it. it and... Um, I didn't really, I know this thing, you know, you move the mic towards the cone and get this brighter sound on the guitar and you move this here. It's, it's, I don't really <laughs> play much with that. Yeah. I, I just put some, just guitar, S1057, and you yes. do yes, the yes, amp yes. And, and let's play a good part. <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes, yes. I don't like to, to mess around too much with it. Yeah. You know this new technology that allows you from the iPad with a with a driver, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that's that's crazy, you know. Sometimes you want to move the mic uh, in the in an absolutely wrong place, just yes. like that. Yes, and that's the sound that will drive the track. Yes, and with yes, these uh, micro adjustments, it's just 
Well, the the thing is that for for I I'm not I, I am a hundred percent in the same philosophy as as you. I just uh, there is a book called um, uh, I, I think the person who wrote it is uh, it escapes my mind right now. The the book is called uh, Recording the Distorted Guitars from Hell. Uh, and this Sleeperman uh. Sleeperman I think is his name. Uh, I'll I'll check it out later and. Um, and well, I mean, he kind of calls the, the this kind of process as a controlled, um, as a as a sculpture of white noise. <laughs> that's wow. how, <laughs> that's nice. how he calls it. So, so I guess. But anyways, that that's another topic. This, this uh, leads me to one of the final things that I want to cover in this mm-hmm. episode, um, which is that I'm really curious about if you have any knowledge or you can share with me some light about what's the the legacy of the Soviet Union. In the in the modern, I mean, in the recording industry in Russia. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm really interested uh-huh. to, to hear about this. If I would say a few things. First of all, um, uh, there was sound engineering, there was recording, there was broadcasting, and this, uh, you know, this opinion because this uh, these bands like uh, bands with guitars in the 80s in the mm-hmm. Soviet Union. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not talking about the underground scene like Kinor, uh, Aquarium, all, all the, the the underground bands. You know, although they were legal and they were like uh, Peter uh, Saint Petersburg Rock Laboratory, but anyway, they were uh, quite edgy with lyrics uh, for the time. Yeah. Even though it was perestroika, and uh, that that's another cultural phenomenon. But I'm talking about the. Like the official bands with... That's what I want to talk about. Yeah, that that, that was really... Uh, it, it looked so inferior compared to the Stones or the Beatles or, or Bonnie M or Abba, you know. And it was already well known in the Soviet Union. That's why people have this thought that our uh, our music, our recording is, is, is worse, something like that. But they forget that the symphonic orchestras... Oh, yeah. And all that stuff, and and that stuff is really the, the stuff for London, New York, Los Angeles, Berlin, and all other major recording cities. It's not the the bands with the guitars. Bands with guitars, it's a cheap thing. You just you, you can record an album in a day. Yeah. But, but to hire an orchestra yes. for rehearsal and Studio A, and all the engineers, and to buy all the mics for the orchestra. I'm sorry, it's it's the whole different thing. And yeah. And those those people they were um, they're responsible for for the for the for the soil was going on in the city yeah. with recording I think so and uh, in uh, Soviet Union there were a lot of great engineers like Viktor Babushkin the famous guy mm-hmm. from most film and uh, he he engineered a lot of movie soundtracks that sound really good I mean it's it's just it's just really good and. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, that was well done. And um, I mean, some of the film scores that's still being made in most from there, just they won prizes internationally. Yes. And, uh, and uh, people come from France, from Japan, from China to record soundtracks in most film. So it's, it's a world-class studio. It's not just local indie band uh, <laughs> that just... No, I, I mean, I don't want to like insult anyone but uh, when we think about russian sound thinking only about uh, bands and hip it's a mistake it's wrong yeah it's a right. mistake because there's a jazz there's classical music there's film soundtracks there's a lot more and, yeah. and that thing 
No, I would highly recommend everyone to read Peter Andre's memoir, you know? Can you, can you, if somebody wants to find it, what they have to Google exactly to the Peter Andre? Peter Andre, it's called, I think, Inside the Recording Studio. And on the on the cover, you see Peter Andy with Herbert von Karajan, Stislav Rostropovich, Svetoslav Richter, and David Ostrach in Abbey Road Studio A at the console. And uh, Peter Andre was responsible for most uh, classical recordings of EMI in the second half of 20th century. Hmm. Once I read his books, I realized that Beatles were really like digging around with that knowledge that was next room. <laughs> because in that next room, there was the London Symphonic Orchestra, Arturo Toscanini, Leonard Bernstein, uh, wow. Herbert von Karajan, you know all the great conductors. And those records were very popular. You might do a lot of money on classical music in the 60s. And uh, those engineers and that amount of precision and uh, commitment, uh, those were the same guys who set up Studio B for the Beatles and Pink Floyd. So I, I don't believe that would be possible if there wasn't this classical big thing yeah. in the same building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they That's were just having fun. They were having fun. And that those guys, they were just, they had unions, they had wages for each musician, scores, rehearsals, miking, no EQs, you know, 60s, no, no nothing, just tape machine, you balance on the go, two track, four engineers at the console, and you have an orchestra. And it's a movie soundtrack or it's classical recording, whatever. It's a different kind of thing. Same thing with Capitol Records and uh, Hollywood. Absolutely the same thing. And so, uh, standing from the Soviet Union and mm -hmm. now projecting towards the future, um, mm -hmm. how do you feel about uh, the direction of where the the music scene is going? I mean, do you have any thoughts about this? Uh, recommendations? I, I don't know. I think there's a huge improvement in uh, this scene uh, uh, in Russia and in Moscow, especially because I. I mean, I know what happens here. There are a lot of uh, engineers. Uh, there are a lot of there's a, this whole generation of gen new engineers, and people do really good records, you know. And uh, people go to uh, study to to Germany, to France, to London, to LA, to other cities, and this knowledge is um, also this the the potential of internet. You know, we have much more sources of information and. It's, um, it's incredible because when I started, people were so obsessed with equipment because it was lacking. I mean, we had it most from studios, we had uh -huh. it vintage records, some other records, but um, musicians, singers wanted to buy themselves a Manly Vox Box or, or 1176 <laughs> just because they just remember that sensation in the studio. And they thought, well, if I buy this, I'll just, I'll just make 10 albums every week just with this piece of gear, but not, you know. And uh, it, it kind of, I think it's saturated now. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's it not is. such so much obsession with equipment. Remember yeah. when Anilo made this atomic clock and and the, the, the arms race started. Everybody wanted to get the, the atomic clock and so my <laughs> digital is better than other digital, you know, and it's, but, <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's, uh, I mean, like uh, other clocks are good too, you know, and good enough. So it's yes. 
you don't need a twenty-five thousand dollars guitar. One thousand dollars is enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the, the other the other part is just five hundred dollars is enough if, it, if it's a good tone and yeah. good, good hands. You know, so so uh, this arms race, you know, this competition and um, possessing equipment, uh, it's it's of course a dead end. And uh, now looking back ten years ago, I think. Uh, me, myself, and, and many other people, they they didn't really know what's important and what's not by doing so. Now yeah. it's changing. Yeah. Now it's really changing. Yeah, and I think that the... So I, I hope that in Russia it will just, just uh, evolve into something because, uh, you know, all the cities uh, have their sound. <laughs> like uh, LA sound, Nashville sound, yes. Chicago sound, uh, whatever, you know, Manchester yes. sound. So, same with Moscow, same with Yekaterinburg, same with St. Petersburg, you know. I mean, it's, uh, uh, I always tell it's, it, we, we, like, uh, there are like three major cities, London, New York, and LA, right? And mm -hmm. the industry is concentrated there for, for all the period of its existence, basically, like, uh, for the last 60 years, of course. But uh, there are other cities like Stockholm, like... Uh, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Dublin, like perhaps Paris, Dublin, yeah. right, Paris, uh, and, and others, and and Moscow is somewhere there too. You know, it's yeah. it's it's not. And for for the whole uh, former Soviet Union, CIS, right? It, it's yeah. it's the, it's the major center. Yeah. People come to Moscow to to record, to study, to play shows, everything. There are a lot of great musicians living in Moscow. That's it. Working with jazz musicians, I was fascinated. I had no idea how good they are, how, how, how many of them are there. They know about each other, of course. You know, it, it's, it's their like it's their it's their profession. But uh, outside of that world, we just don't know. A yeah. lot of great drummers, great bass players, great uh, trumpet players, saxophone players, piano players. You can really uh, just be in Moscow. You can build teams for projects yes, absolutely uh, very absolutely. very diverse yeah. and uh, it's just amazing they're very happy you know to, to have this here and yeah so, um, as a foreigner as a foreigner i i have been absolutely shocked by moscow and uh, uh in all senses i mean i had zero knowledge and when i i remember when i sat down in a bus in victoria station in london to get out of russia because uh, the reason why i left uh, sorry why i left london is because my wife was not allowed to move there uh, for the documents. I mean, I was just living there, installed, and uh, my, my she was not my wife back then. But uh, she, so so I left London, and uh, I remember to to be with her because I mm -hmm. knew that this was a woman of my life, and I'm happy to have made the right decision. And but I remember when I was in the bus in Victoria Station, I started crying. I was I thought like, okay, well, I, I'm sure I'll be fine, but this is the end of my music career, and it was exactly well. the opposite. I mean, it was exactly the opposite. Yeah. I mean, I arrived here and, and I was shocked with, with a very, very dynamic market. I mean, of course, there are so many things that we can grow and improve, but that's what we're doing every day. And and, uh, and that's right, why... Right, right. And I think there is a very... I think something... You know something interesting? When I was touring with Zemfira in the USA, uh, uh -huh. and we were, we were, you know, building stages every day with the local crews, uh, and we were describing to them what we had in Moscow, from the perspective of DTH, which was this tight unity community thing. Mm -hmm. 
But I really think that it expands to the atmosphere of Moscow. I mean, there is a lot. Of, there is a rat race a bit, but but Moscow feels like more tight. I can approach to you, and we just talk to no. you easily. Yeah. You know, do you disagree? Yeah, of course, with that? it's a rat race. It's it's a, it's, a, yeah. it's a huge city. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but 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 when I was talking with the Americans, uh, they were salivating about about some things that we had here that they did not uh -huh. were enjoying there and and that was referring mostly to the human aspect of the whole thing i mean of how humane things felt uh and how you know real and alive at least how i was describing it to them felt and mm -hmm. and you know before i ever even met my first russian in my whole life uh i asked to a friend of mine uh, who is from poland i asked her how are russians and she said very human Mm -hmm. And uh, absolutely right, and I think that that's our our um, our uh, vantage point. Sorry, our our point of of uh, co competitive advantage that yep. we have as a scene is that. And um, and I think well, I mean, right now with the COVID nineteen uh, situation, I think there's going to be a depuration of the things that cannot stay afloat, uh, and that's. Not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's going to be a bad thing for those who are not thinking fast and ahead, for sure. But mm -hmm. for the whole picture, it's going to be positive. So I think that I don't expect that we're going to go back. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I hope that the clubs survive and the jazz clubs survive. And yeah. That's very important. But uh, overall, I think it's... Um, well, we're all hoping for the best. And uh, I see a lot of potential, really. There's yeah, a lot of potential too. for development and uh, um, the awareness of musicians about the studio process grew a lot yes. over the years too. Yeah, because uh, also uh, there's a lot of preconception uh, in Russia. You know, it's uh, it's not like United States when one guy knows how to do one type of thing, and unless you are a super cool guy, right? yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like Al Schmidt, or you, you if you just like were you just uh, learn something and there's always another guy to do the other side of the thing in moscow and russia it's uh, it's very uh, i mean it's more chaotic you, it's not easy to understand which knowledge will you need tomorrow yeah so you try to yeah. get uh, on the go and like touring with majus for example uh touring with vadim and krieg it was always uh, amazing great people on the on the uh, on the stage and the, on the rental company, it was top, you know. Yeah. So he's a top jazz artist. But with Mudus, uh, it was a small club, and you don't, if you don't know how to tune the PA yourself, yeah. no one will help you. So yes. you have to know it. At yes. least you have to yes. just put up Roxy Music have a lawn and EQ it by ear. It, it, yeah. Whatever, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, uh, and that kind of thing that, that, that leaves us a lot of extra knowledge a bit outside your profession your main profession and yes it's maybe easier to connect with other um, other professionals and stuff like that well man we just did two mm -hmm. hours as we promised oh, that we will be that's amazing it's it, it flew by by the Thanks way so this gave me an idea for the future conversation that we could have which could be a little bit about the history because i think you you know a little bit a lot about it and i mean just just about how things were and mm. how things are now that would be super interesting to discuss. But anyways, I'm okay. sure you're, you're going to be a thanks. regular guest in, in this show. Well, I'm thanks really a lot. thankful, man. Happy to do it, yeah. Yeah, and I... Well, the next one will be post-quarantine with some beers without a camera, just yeah. uh, discussing things how it should be. Right. 
man, take super good care. And uh, thanks a lot. Let's move Cheers. forwards. And if there's anything we can do on our end to help you, just drop us a line. We're very happy to hear. Thanks from you. a lot. Thanks a lot. Right, man. Thanks. Take